NBA on NBC. Welcome to Pot of Fame, the podcast where we break down the resumes of basketball, baseball, and football Hall of Fame candidates and decide whether or not they should get a call to their respective Hall of Fames. Now, this is our very first episode, so thank you for joining. On today's podcast, we're going to be breaking down the Hall of Fame candidacy of Ben Wallace Center from the Detroit Pistons. Now, Ben Wallace's career spanned from 1996 to 2012. He became eligible for the Hall of Fame back in 2017, was a finalist last year, but not a finalist this year in 2020. He was one of the best undrafted players in NBA history. I don't think anyone's going to anyone's gonna kind of argue with that. He had four Defensive Player of the Year awards, over 10,000 career rebounds, and over 2,000 career blocks. Uh, but again, he is not yet in the Hall of Fame. So how this podcast really works is each week, I'll be looking at a individual and again, a canon. And this has to be someone who you know has a case for the Hall of Fame. We're not going to be breaking down the candidacy of, of Dickie Simpkins anytime soon. But anyone that had a career where you know some people, uh, hometown fans, may, maybe even outsiders who are going to say, you know, that guy, that guy was a Hall of Famer. Um, anyone that's even on the, the cusp of being a Hall of Famer will break down. Uh, go through three short segments at the beginning of each podcast, and then kind of end with the, the main meat of the presentation, which is where we, we say we're going to court, we make a case for and a case against the candidate, and then at the end of the podcast, we make a final verdict whether or not they should be in the Hall of Fame. So again, today's Ben Wallace. This is our first episode. Thank you for joining, and let's go to our first segment, What Comes to Mind? What do we think of when we think of Ben Wallace? So first thoughts. This is like if your buddy texts you, Ben Wallace, haven't thought about him in a while. What are your, what are your thoughts on him? And really when I was kind of brainstorming this and, and I was like, Ben Wallace, he was the first one that came to my head. When I thought of him, I thought of rebounding. And I don't know if that's going to be a popular answer. I think a lot of people go right to, Defensive player, defensive player of the year. But when I think back to his career on the Pistons for all those years or when he played for the Bulls, which we're going to get into for a year, I think of his rebounding numbers. I think of an undersized guy. And remember, Ben Wallace was a center at only 6'9". In today's NBA, sure, that would work. That would fly. But when he played in the 2000s, that was still the era of this, the seven-footer, seven-one guy down low. Um, undersized centers like Ben Walls, who was probably more like six-seven. I, I believe he was on record recently said he was maybe only six-seven. Definitely wasn't six-eight even. But at six-seven, he was holding his own against players in that day like Shaq. That was that was the cur- the end of you know the Ewing Robinson era like. He was holding his own against these seven footers at six seven, and in, 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 was in the top you know ten in rebounding almost every year, leading the le- re- league in rebounds a couple years, at just six foot seven, six foot eight, six foot nine, whatever, whatever he may be, undersized center, lead the league in score in, in rebounding, and he was one of those guys. We're getting into this a bit, but you know he affected the games without really scoring. And, and when, I, when you'd see the box score of Ben Wallace, he would put up those 
those fun box scores where it's like four points, 22 rebounds, 10 offensive rebounds. Like, great offensive rebounder. If you watch any of his clips, he's not scoring with low post moves. It's, it's tip dunks. The amount of tip dunks you see when you look back at Ben Wallace's baskets is kind of astonishing. You're like, okay, you're just looking at highlights, but you've got to remember the guy averaged like five points a game. So if you're watching a tip dunk, that's half of his points for that game, more or less, on average. That's a lot. And then you really look at the clips, and there's only a few guys in history where you actually will type into YouTube rebounding highlights. You know, we, like this, we like scores, let's be obvious. Or even the best passers in the league, but the best rebounders in the league, you really got to stand out. You think of Rodman when you think about this. Maybe you think of people like Wilt Chamberlain, Bill Russell, excellent rebounders. And then I think of Ben Wallace. He was one of the last people to really do kind of the, the one-hand snatch to the other hand with the ball. Like, it doesn't come, go up with two hands. It's, it's honestly probably not what they teach you. Um, or would ever want you to do, but he would kind of go up with one hand, snatch it down, um, pull it into the other, and then kind of push on the break. Not many people do that today. There's a lot of art to that. Again, art to rebounding, not something we all kind of talk about too much, but it's kind of kind of what he was all about. Now, when we look at his actual numbers for rebounding, what I all just said, like, one of the best rebounders, it's what I think about. You know, here, here's some of his numbers. You know, he's over 10,000 career rebounds, which is 33rd all-time in NBA history. That's, that's good. It's not top 10, top 15, top 20, but it's good. Um, I, I was looking, you know, what's the most rebounds he ever grabbed in a game? 28 twice. That's, that's a hell of a lot of rebounds. I was hoping he had like a 35 rebound game in there. Love when a guy gets over 30 boards. It's honestly one of the coolest things to see on TV. Uh, 30 boards just doesn't, it kind of makes you take a, a double look at, the, at what you're watching on SportsCenter. You know, I see 50 point games. I'm like, great, he scored 50 points. But when someone gets 30 boards, it's a big deal. I know a few years ago, Kevin Love had a 30-30 game. That's a big deal in the NBA. That does not happen often. Unless your name is Will Chamberlain. Then he like average that basically. That's, that's a different air, different player. Automatic shooting hall fight. But anyway, really quickly back to the rebounding numbers. I guess when I was going through it, he only led the, led the league in rebounding twice. I was a bit surprised by that. I thought it would be more. But he was top five six times. And when you look at his highest numbers... 2002, 2003, that was kind of his peak prime. That was when Pistons were going pretty deep in the, in the playoffs. They won 2004. Um, in 2002, he averaged 13.2 rebounds, led the league. And then 2003, he averaged 15.4 rebounds. And again, 15.4 rebounds as an undersized center when the league was anything but undersized, it could not be more impressive. It, it, it really couldn't. Those 15 boards, he was fighting the paint for every board. He was also getting around five offensive boards per game, which is extremely high when it comes to O boards. He was a monster. And then before we get to the next segment really quick, just one more thing I want to break down. His playoff rebounding numbers. Now, 
Probably not too many of you are combing through Ben Wallace's playoff rebounding numbers, but when I'm really looking at a Hall of Fame candidacy of anyone in the NBA, I look at their playoff numbers. And they at least got to be the same as their regular season numbers, but, but the greats, they elevate they elevate their numbers when it gets to the playoffs, when it gets to the, the big time. Because, you know, plenty of people, and I'm going to go to points because it's just natural, but plenty of people can put up 25, 30 points a night. It happens every, Zach Levine averages 25 points a night, okay? Nothing against Zach Levine, but that's great. It's when you get to the playoffs, when you're averaging 25 points a night. That's a big deal because you're, you know, no one cares if you're scoring 25 points against... Um, who's, who's the worst? Okay. This is weird. I was like, who's the worst team right now? It's the Warriors. That does not sound natural coming out, but the Warriors are like the worst team in the league right now because of injury. So, you know, if you score 25 points against the Warriors, I don't care, but then you score, you know, 25 points against the Clippers in round two of the playoffs. That's a little better. So I always look at playoff numbers. Do they elevate those numbers? And Ben Wallace really did from 2002 2002 to 2005, again, the peak Piston years, he averaged 16.1 boards. That was across 10 games. He only made it to the second round that year. But then the next year, 2003, across 17 games, so they're making it to the Eastern Conference Finals that year, 16.3 boards a game in the playoffs across 17 games. And then you look at 2004, when they actually went to the Finals, 14.3 boards across 23 games. And then 2005, when they actually won the finals. Oh, I'm sorry. 2004, they won the finals, 14.3 rebounds. 2005, when they lost, only 11.3 rebounds. Still, a good amount about what he was getting the regular season. They lost, though. Maybe that's why they lost. So, again, 16 boards back-to-back playoffs where they made deep runs. And then 14 boards a game the year they won the championship. That's where it really shows, hey, that's one of the best rebounders of that decade. So that ends our first segment, What Comes to Mind. Now let's head to our second segment, That Memorable Moment. So that memorable moment, what are we, what are we talking about here? What is this segment going to be? So for that memorable moment, it's pretty much just looking at if you had to say, you know, name a Hall of Fame moment, what, what was this player, this athlete's Hall of Fame moment? You got to point to something. If you, if you look at the top athlete, athletes of all time, the, the ones where we don't have to do this podcast for, like when LeBron retires, I'm not doing a podcast for LeBron. I, I hate LeBron, but I'm not, I, the guy could not be a more clear cut Hall of Famer. Like he's, he, he could have retired five years ago and been an immediate first ballot Hall of Famer. The guy's getting in. No brainer, right? So if you were like point to LeBron's most memorable moment, he's a bunch. Like there's a bunch of things you point. He's a bunch of Hall of Fame moments. Jordan is too many to, it blows my mind just trying to think through what would Jordan's Hall of Fame moment be since he had, I feel like multiple every season. Again, I'm from Chicago, but what I'm trying to say here is Every Hall of Famer, no matter what sport, you should be able to point to uh, a season, a series, a playoff series, uh, a, a big game, a big moment, whether it be a Super Bowl, an NBA Finals, 
um, a, a crucial moment in time where they came up big. They put on a performance that was Hall of Fame worthy. It stood out among everyone else. It wasn't they had a great game, a great season. It was something that that really um, put them above and beyond, puts them in a Hall of Fame, right? And, and that's what this section is. And, and usually, <laughs> if there's an actual Hall of Fame candidate that has a serious candidacy to get in, we're gonna we're gonna struggle most to be like, oh, which what is their most memorable moment, right? But if you're kind of struggling to even come up with something, if you're trying to pitch me, oh, they had a really great game seven in the first round of the 2004 playoffs. That's not that convincing. Their wild card game performance, they threw for 400 yards in the air. Sick. But that's not a Hall of Fame moment. That I wouldn't consider that a memorable moment. And if it is the memorable moment, they're, they're probably not a Hall of Famer. And you could maybe, you, I hope you keep listening to the podcast, but if you really just listen to be like, are they, aren't they? That's all you care about. If I struggle in this section, um, you can turn it off because, because if I'm struggling in the terms of, they don't have one, not struggling in the terms of they have too many, they're probably not a hall of famer. When it comes to Ben Wallace though, he's a kind of a clear cut memorable moment for me. It stands out. So again, you can keep listening because he's kind of passing the test here. And again, I will not break this down every time, but he's passing the test here because he does have a memorable moment. It's pretty easy to pinpoint that moment. Um, And that was game five of the 2004 NBA finals when Big Ben played for the Detroit Pistons and they were facing off against the LA Lakers. Now, if you can remember back to to 2004, uh, the previous three seasons, the Lakers were on their dynasty run. They had won the last three championships. They had Kobe, rest in peace. They had Shaq and it looked like no one could touch them. Um, They were the Lakers and, and they, they were, in my eyes at that point, unbeatable just from the sheer dom- dominance of Shaq and the emergence of Kobe Bryant. But this Detroit Pistons team, and, and this is the team that's famous for having no all-star players, they always say, even though they did have all-star players. But it was more of a team dynamic. There was not the, the superstars as the Lakers had with Shaq and Kobe, but it was a collection of talented players that worked together as a team. And Ben Wallace was the anchor of this Detroit Piston team that featured, you know, Chauncey Billups, Rasheed Wallace, Tayshawn Prince, um, Rip Hamilton. Um, ben Wallace was the anchor of this team. In game five of the 2004 NBA Finals was a game that if, if Detroit won, they would clinch their first NBA title since the bad boy Pistons of the 80s. So this was a big game. And having the Lakers on the ropes here, um, was pretty significant because again, up to this point, they were they were pretty much unbeatable um, as they had won the last three NBA championships. So with a a championship on the line here and with a win, they could they could again be the champions, beat the Lakers. Um, they would end the three peat. Ben Wallace puts up an 18 point, 22 board game with 10 offensive rebounds, not to mention three steals and a block. For a plus 23, plus minus, which led the team for that game. So again, this is against Shaquille O'Neal. He's dropping 18 in 22 boards against Shaquille O'Neal. Okay, Shaq in this game only had 20 points in eight boards. 
Okay, so Ben Wallace again is is six foot seven, six foot eight. He's going against Shaq, who's seven one, probably three hundred twenty pounds at this point of his career, and he's he's only scoring two points less than Shaq, and he's out rebounding him twenty two to eight. Okay, so he completely outplays probably one of the top fifteen players of all time in a pivotal moment of the NBA Finals where the Pistons are clinching their first championship since the eighties. So. This in itself is is a Hall of Fame moment um, by Ben Wallace. A, a performance in a game that means a lot where he's going above and beyond his normal scoring numbers. As we're going to talk about throughout this, Ben Wallace was by no means a, a score. Um, if anything, he was getting a, two, a few tip uh, dunks here and there, and that was his offense. So 18 from him in an NBA Finals game um, is beyond anything he's doing on, on a normal basis. And then 22 boards, you know, he's a, he's a rebounder, but even getting 22 and especially in check, that, that means a lot. And if you go that back through, if you, if you're bored, I mean, the NBA hasn't started yet. You want to kind of get jacked up for the new NBA season. Um, starting at the end of this month, fingers crossed, go back and watch this game five performance from Ben Wallace. Um, specifically look at him in the second half. Uh, the Pistons are, are kind of starting to get away, uh, kind of come away with the win in the second half. And he does a couple of things that are just, they stand out. One, he has two different tip jams in the second half where he's just jumping over people, um, that just show how athletic Ben Wallace was as a player. And then the best is kind of just a, a fuck you. Ben Wallace has to Shaq. And again, Shaq is the most dominant player in the league at this point, uh, in the NBA. And, and he completely goaltends a hook shot Shaq's trying to do in the third quarter. Um, again, Shaq only had 20 points this game. He's starting to get something going. And, and when it's Shaq, you kind of need to eliminate all hope you have because Shaq can go off at 20 in any given quarter. And he goes up for a hook shot. That's probably going to go in. And Ben Wallace just deliberately swats the ball out. Um, goaltends, but it, it's one of those things where it's you don't want to see, you don't want the other player to see a ball go in so they can start to get kind of some momentum. You want to stop that before that shit even gets started. And Ben Wallace definitely stops that before it gets started with that goaltend. Uh, it's a great moment of the game. It's really showing he, he's not intimidated by Shaq and obviously putting up an 18 and 22 game in the finals against Shaq shows you're not intimidated, but Ben Wallace really put together one of his best games in the playoffs at a moment where everything was on the line. Because again, if the Pistons lose game five and the Lakers have to win a, a game six to get to game seven, that's, that's a dangerous game. Uh, again, it's not an elimination game by any means for the Pistons. They still would have two more games uh, to clean it up. But I'm a Cubs fan. You know, we came down from 3-1. And if we can come down from a 3-1, um, any, anyone can come down from a 3-1, especially with our World Series history. So for the Pistons to win game five, it was crucial. Um, this game mattered a lot. And for Ben Walls to put up a performance like that against a top 15 player of all time, um, that really does shine a light and, and shows that he was a Hall of Famer. He rose to the occasion. He had this type of performance. So that is how that memorable moment will work. So before we go to court, let's go to our last short segment. 
and twins. I love playing two-hand touch, eating way too much, watching my team win with the twins. I love quarterbacks eating dirt, pom-poms and short skirts, fans who won't quit, and those twins, and I I hope I hope everyone enjoyed that. Um, I will. I believe I say this in all three of my first podcasts. Um, I'm playing the full commercial. For those of you who don't know, that was a Coors Light commercial that came out back in 2002. Um, would play, I feel like, on TV all the time during sporting events, and um, still cracks me up today. I actually hadn't heard in a while when I thought of this segment and twins, which we'll get to in just a second. Let me stand the commercial for a second. Um, this commercial immediately popped to mind, and I, I felt like I had to be playing it. Uh, in the future, I will play a shortened version of this song, but I needed everyone, including myself, a little bit to, to hear the entire commercial just because, um, you know, if you don't know what I'm talking about, go on YouTube, check out Coors Light Twins commercial. It's very fun to me. Um, I think it came, I was like 12 when it came out, um, 13, so it's probably right in my wheelhouse. Probably shouldn't find it as funny today as I did uh, back then, but it's still cracking me up to this day. But anyway, and twins. So what what is this section actually all about? It is not about Coors Light, Miller Light all the way. Um, but and twins is pretty much, you know, let's take a look at who's already in the Hall of Fame. And then how does the player we're taking a look at? So in this case, Ben Wallace, who who do they closely resemble that's already in the Hall of Fame, I guess? Um, and again, just like um, memorable moment, that segment, if it's hard for me to find a comp, if you even have someone that's kind of a comp that's already in the Hall of Fame, you're you're apparently a trailblazer because you're going to be the first person getting in with your credentials. You're probably not getting in. So if I have trouble finding a comp for you, um, not good for your candidacy. But for Ben Wallace, this and twin segment – could not fit more perfectly because I feel like he has kind of perfect twin already in the hall of fame. And that's Dennis Rodman. Um, Dennis Rodman and Ben Wallace have very similar careers, both kind of with their stuff off the court, how they came in the league to how their game was on the court. Um, you know, they both had very odd ways getting to the NBA. Ben Wallace was undrafted. So he's, are one of the best undrafted players of all time. He was undrafted out of Virginia Union University um, to get to the league. Rodman came out of Southeastern Oklahoma State to come to the league. So those are not, and he was a second round pick. So neither of them came into any any major fanfare. Um, they both had memorable hair. I mean, Rodman's took it to another level. But when I think of Ben Wallace, I think of the fro. And then I also, he had cornrows for a bin. Those are two you know, hairstyles that I, I feel like stand out for him when I, I think of him as a player. Rodman was dyeing his hair every which way. It's kind of a different memorable hair, but still both of them um, hairstyles kind of, I remember like when I'm thinking of them playing, that kind of comes into my mind. They were both parts of infamous moments in NBA history. So Rodman is too many to go through. I'm not going to go through the laundry list here yet a lot. Let's just put it that way. Ben Wallace was for those of you who have forgotten, he started the Malice in the Palace. Now, let me be clear. 
he he didn't he didn't start he he's not the reason he should not be blamed for Ron Artest and a few other Pacers going to the stands, but he's the one that got Artest all riled up when he fouled Art Artest to to get him and, and shoving him. That's that's what got this all started. Him, him kind of confronting Artest, getting him riled up. That's when Artest then ran, ran uh, you know, went over to the the sideline. He was laying down the table. Then someone threw something at him. That's what actually started that catastrophe. But Ben Wallace was a part of that. He's part of that history. Um, so, again, I, not exactly the same, but they're both parts of extremely infamous moments in history. Both won championships for the Pistons. So when Ben Wallace won that championship in 2004 for the Pistons, they had not won since Robin was on the team in the 80s. So they both have Pistons championship rings. Both extremely undersized for their position. I mean, Rodman was probably like six, 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 seven, honestly. And he was banging down low with with giants in the NBA. Ben Wallace, again, we talked six, seven, six, eight center. Um, and they're both getting rebounds, winning rebounding titles while being undersized. So both super undersized. And then most importantly, probably, they both could not play offense uh, at all. Rodman was averaging just over seven points per game for his career. Ben Wallace is just under six points per game for his career. But they impacted the game in such a way on the defensive end as well as uh, as as a rebounder that they were still stars uh, of the of their teams. They still stood out where Rodman's in the Hall of Fame now and we're talking about Ben Wallace's Kansi as well. You know, if you're not scoring much, uh, you better be doing other things. And they really, uh, Rodman, I think, set the standard for I'm not scoring much, but I'm a, I'm making a big impact on, on a contending team. And Ben Wallace did the same. Uh, you know, Rodman, he won two Defensive Player of the Year awards. Ben Wallace is four. But Rodman was a much better rebounder than Ben Wallace. I mean, Rodman's one of the best rebounders of all time. But, you know, Ben Wall or Rodman won seven straight rebounding titles. I mean, Wallace gets nowhere near there. Now, Wallace was a much better shot blocker. And I think Wallace overall, people would probably say he's a better defender and the, the four Defensive Player of the Year awards kind of um, attest to that. But at the same time, Rodman was an excellent man-to-man defender. He was not getting blocks really or steals, but he still won the award twice because of how good he was and how he could defend almost every position with how well quick he was and how strong he was too. So, so both of these guys can't score. Great rebounders, excellent defenders, and are impacting the game without filling up the box score with points. Now, when you look at, okay, Robin's in the Hall of Fame where you're saying Ben Wallace, you know, better, better shot blocker, probably a better uh, defender. You know, Robin had five rings. Um, Wallace has one. So Robin really stands out there. Uh, again, Rodman was a much superior rebounder. He dominated the league with seven straight rebounding titles. You know, Ben Wallace was not doing that. Um, and then scoring wise, they're relatively the same and, you know, passing neither of them or Rodman was actually not that bad pass, but neither of them I'm going to say is an excellent passer by any means, but Rodman definitely has the, the championship pedigree that Ben Wallace doesn't have to the, the extent that Rodman does. And then the fact that Rodman did dominate, uh, as a rebounder as Ben Wallace, um, you know, Ben Wallace was a great rebounder, but not in the, in the realm of, of Rodman. So again, both these guys, super similar. Um, it took Rodman 11 years to get in the hall of fame. 
So he wasn't a shoe in by any means. Uh, and I think that comes back to the scoring. And that's going to be Ben Wallace's toughest hurdle to jump. It's just when you think of basketball from an early age, the best kid on the team, he's the scorer. When you're, when you're on your Y team and you're 10, you're not like, well, Billy dropped 24, but Tommy over there, you know, he put up the 11 boards, three blocks, four assists stat line. He was really involved in the defensive end. He's actually our best player now. That's not what you're saying. It's just ingrained in your brain. Whoever score, you know, whoever scores the most winning, of course, simple as that. But at the same time, Dennis Rodman really set the tone. Okay, I'm getting ahead of myself. Ben, Bill Will Russell set the tone. Let's be clear. Bill Russell set the tone on this, but Dennis Rodman did as well. Uh, not going to score that much, but I'm I'm impacting the game. I'm a winner. You're winning championships because of me. Draymond Green fits in this too. This intangible, doing everything else. And, and it really does matter when you're on a championship team. So long story short, when it comes to twins, the Ben Wallace-Dennis Rodman is going to be very close, if not one of the closer comparisons I'm going to do just based on everything that happened in their career to their, their play on the court. Um, but if I had to pick you know, who's, who's better, who deserves to be in the Hall of Fame more, and I'll try to do this at the end of each of these twin sections, I'd go Rodman over, over Ben Wallace. Now, that does by no means... Um, mean I'm saying that Ben Wallace shouldn't be in the Hall of Fame. I'm just saying if I had to pick one or the other, I'm picking Dennis Rodman. I think Wallace has an excellent candidacy. We're about to get into the meat of the presentation with going to court. But between Rodman and Wallace as twins, and I had to pick one twin, I have to, you know, I'm, I'm at, I'm at an orphanage. I'm picking one of these guys, one of these twins. I'm breaking the twins up. I'm a terrible person. I'm picking, I'm taking I'm thinking of Des Rodman as a child. I know he had a really messed up upbringing. I, I feel terrible with this all, all the way, but I guess I'm picking Dennis Rodman. That's what I'm saying. So that's for and twins. Now, finally going to the final part of the presentation, but the main part, let's take it to court. So case four. Let me rattle some stuff off for you. Ben Wallace, as I said, four Defensive Player of the Year awards. Four in five years, actually. One of only two players to win four Defensive Hall, or I'm sorry, Defensive Player of the Year awards. The other guy, Matumba, who is in the Hall of Fame. He was a three-time NBA All-Second Team, two-time All-NBA Third Team. So for, for half of the 2000s, he was one of the top two um, two, three centers in the league. Okay, that, that's a big deal. I would say he was the third best rebounder during the 2000s. You know, Kevin Garnett was in there winning a lot of rebounding titles. Um, and so was Dwight Howard near the end of the decade. Ben Wallace, again, excellent rebounder but he doesn't really come close to the numbers. I mean, come close is wrong to say. I'm sorry. He doesn't lead the, he doesn't lead the league as much as Garnett and Howard do in that time. And their overall 
rebounding numbers far surpassed Big Ben's, as, as well as their averages far past Big Ben's. And remember, Big Ben, not even 10 boards a game lifetime, just under 10, um, but still good enough for, I think, that third best rebounder of that decade. Now, he led the league in blocks only once, which is super surprising when you think of that Defensive Player of the Year award, winning it four times at three and a half in 2002. But he finished second twice, so he was always near the top in blocks during that decade. Again, I already said led the uh, league in rebounds twice. And then again, to to get into the advanced metrics um, a little bit here, he's top 15 all-time in NBA history in defensive win shares, and that puts him ahead of players like Matumbo and Robin, who, again, are both in the hall. And then again, remember, he was the anchor on a on one NBA championship team, which does mean something. That championship, especially being an important part, it's not one of those I won it on, on the bench later in my career kind of championships. It's I was the main one of the main reasons why we won the championship. He always will have that in his resume. That's a big deal. So, so case four, best defender in the 2000s. That, that means a lot. To say something like that, you were the best defensive player for your decade. It probably should mean more than it maybe does. Like if I say this guy was the best offensive player during the decade, you're going to be in the Hall of Fame. Like there's no going around that. If I also said this player was the best passer during the decade, I again think you're probably making the Hall of Fame, best rebounder of the decade, again, probably making the Hall of Fame, best defender of the decade, you would think that, but I don't know if that's always the case. And it's obviously the case with Ben because he's not in the Hall yet, and he wasn't a shoon for the Hall, and I feel like any of these, those other kind of best of would automatically be in the Hall. So he's the best defender of the decade. But where does he fit in the centers? And, 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 and this, is, this is where it gets interesting. I would say he was the third best center of the decade. I would say that Shaq was better than him during the decade. Again, the first half of the decade, those were like, that was the Laker dynasty. Shaq was the, the best player in the league. Just dominating. Um, I don't think there's any... I don't think anyone's going to fight me. It's not a hot take that Shaq was the best center of of the 2000s. Um, actually, find me someone that doesn't think that. That's... It's not happening. Dwight Howard, near the end... You know, he comes in near the end of the decade, but he still kind of dominates the end of the decade. Um, and, and he's, I think, again, we think of Dwight Howard through the lens of today and you're like, that guy sucks, but Dwight Howard's like a shoe in hall of famer. Um, and people have quickly forgotten that. Um, so he's probably the second, no, he is the second, I'm sorry. He's the second best player of the decade. Ben Wallace then kind of comes in there and the other one's fighting for him. 
this is where, like, again, the 2000s are a little forgotten. Amari Stunmeyer and Yao Ming. I'm not going to lie. Before I started looking at this, I kind of forgot Yao Ming was a player in the NBA in the 2000s. Like, it's not like I forgot Yao Ming, who he was. He was an eight-time All-Star. He's in the Hall of Fame. Most famous player by far to ever come out of China. It's not close. I'm not talking about Stefan Marbury here. Come from the Chinese leagues. But I kind of forgot. Yeah, like I just that part of the 2000s. Yao Ming was there. Big Shaq. Yao right. Kind of forgot about that. To be perfectly honest. But Yao Ming was a huge part of the 2000s. But I would still put Ben Wallace over Amari over Yao. So he's the third best player of the 2000s at center. And he was again. Those All-NBA teams, second and third team, that means a lot. He was on five of those teams throughout the decade, which again, kind of makes a lot of sense if I'm saying he's third player of the decade. So third best player at his position for a decade, it's a pretty good case. Again, if you're looking at any other position, you're saying third best at the position for that um, that time period, you're, 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 you're likely going to get in the Hall of Fame. All right, enough sucking up to Ben. Let's go to something. Let's go to the case against. So let's let me get this out of the way before we go into the rest of it because this is not fair. Ben Wallace played for my Chicago Bulls. I'm from Chicago. He came and signed a huge contract, and he he sucked. Okay, he. You know, it was a huge signing for the Bulls at that time. Um, you know, he's top one of the top again, third best center of the decade. We're getting him. Came in two thousand six, but he really started sputtering off by two thousand six. Ben Wallace was definitely not the same player he was in the early two thousands when he came to the Bulls. Did not last very long. Um, I don't know what we were thinking. I don't know. Again, maybe we didn't watch those two thousand four finals, but. When someone doesn't score much, like Ben, um, you know, it's great when you're on a championship caliber team and you're doing all those little things, but you got enough people to kind of carry the, the extra weight. But with Ben on the team, he didn't have that exactly yet. Um, we were a pretty young team. And, you know, him averaging 10 boards a game and like under 10 points. Um, that doesn't do too much to ex- get us excited, and it just it didn't go over well. Let me just put it that way. It was a huge contract, did not go over well. Um, so after getting in the Bulls, let's, that's not part of his can. See, Adam, I don't really want to look at that, but this is why he's not in already. If Ben Wallace gets elected into the Hall of Fame, he would be the most limited offensive player ever to get in, and that would be replacing Dennis Rodman. Des Robin averaged, I think, 7, 7.3 points per game. Ben Wallace averaged 5.7 points per game for his career. 5.7 points per game. Under 6 points per game lifetime average. He never in any season averaged double digits. So this is where it gets tricky. So I've named some of these players that are in the Hall of Fame already. Dennis Robin, Matumbo, you know, these guys who were not known for their offense. But even Rodman averaged over 10 a game for one of his seasons with the Pistons. 
Matumbo, he averaged 16 and a half points per game at one point. Like, these guys could score. Ben Wallace could not score. What do you think Ben Wallace's career high for points was in a game? Think about it for a sec. You probably have a number in the 30s. His career high was 23 points in a game. That is his career high. You could probably pull... Think of someone pretty bad in the NBA right now. Like, that guy's kind of bad. Who's played maybe five or six years. Look at his career high. It's probably over 23 points per game. And now we're talking about putting Ben in the Hall of Fame. So this is where it gets kind of worse. I did some deep diving on this. Because the 5.7 points per game, I actually didn't think it was that low until I looked. That 2004 Pistons team. The one that won the finals. Oh, actually, before I get to that, one real quick thing. His, like, Hall of Fame performance I talked about earlier in the podcast. The twenty or the 18.22 board finals game. He scored 18 points, remember? 23 points is his career high. So, actually, that makes that finals game look even better. Like, holy shit. It was five points away from his career high. I mean, Jordan, like, I'm going to go to Jordan. I'm going to go to Jordan a lot on these podcasts. I apologize. I love the man. I'm from Chicago. I grew up in the 90s. I worship him. Jordan's career high is 69 points. So five less than six. It'd be like if Jordan scored 64 points in any of the finals games he clinched. Like, that would be insane to me. So that's why that that, 20, that 18 points in that final is an even bigger deal because his career high is 23. Okay, anyway, back back to this. So here's my point. Let's deep dive for a sec. It's not a segment. I just want to deep dive. Might be a future segment called deep dive. 5.7 points per game career average. Okay. There was four centers on that 2004 championship Pistons team. Okay, Ben Wallace was one of those four. There's also Eldon Campbell. Okay. He played for the Lakers for a bit. I know that name. He, he averaged 10.3 points per game for his career. So almost double Ben's. Okay, he was on the team as a backup. Played limited minutes on that team. His career average, not on the Pistons, career, 10.3 points per game. There was someone named, I'm going to butcher this, I apologize, Silico Robraca. He averaged 5.9 points per game. That's more than Ben's career average. I remember him because of like video games, him being on the team. I can't tell you I know what exactly he looks like. I, tall white guy. Besides that, like I, I can't say I know what his game was like. But I looked, he had a, somewhat of a career. 5.9 points per game. He was on that team. And then the other center... On that team? Oh, did you just did you just think about who that was? Did it just did ding just go off in your head? Yes. Yep. Darko Milicic was on that team. Who is kind of thought is is one of the biggest busts of all time because he was in the LeBron, Wade, Carmelo, Bosch, Heinrich draft. I'm just kidding, not Heinrich. He was in the draft, but that's not the draft. Or we're not, we're not saying that's the draft. But 
He was on that team. His career averaged six points per game. So Ben Wallace averaged less than all of the other three centers that backed him up on that team did for their career, including Darko Milicic. That is not a good look. And then you might be like, well, you know, he didn't shoot a lot. And that's true. That's true. He didn't shoot a lot. But he only shot, when he did shoot, he shot 47% from the field, which for someone that only really dunks, that's really low. Like DeAndre Jordan really only dunks, but he shoots like 70% from the field because he pretty much dunks everything. He makes all of his dunks and then he misses everything else. It's the 30% of the other shots. He's only making 47% of his field goals and all he does is kind of dunks. That means pretty much anything he doesn't dunk, he's kind of missing. And then this is where it gets even worse. Free throws, 41% from the free throw line. 41%. You might be thinking, wow, that sounds really bad. It's because it's the worst free throw percentage in NBA history. Ben Wallace never shot over 50% from the free throw line. When I think of the worst free throw shooters of all time, I honestly don't think of Ben Wallace. I always thought of Shaq and I thought of Chamberlain. Those are the guys ingrained in my head. Like Shaq couldn't shoot. It looked, it looked like a car crash, him trying to shoot free throws. He tried really hard, I feel like. Will Chamberlain went like underhand at one point. Those are, those are the guys who like, I mean, there's a whole hack of Shaq. Follow him because he can't make him. Those were the guys that couldn't shoot free throws in me. They both, Shaq and Chamberlain, shot over 50% their entire career. Their entire career. That was their lifetime. Their lifetime career average was over 50%. Ben Walls never even got 50% from the free throw line for one season. Holy shit, that is bad. And I did not know that. And that just really points out he's probably one of the worst shooters to ever be in the NBA. There's been a lot of people in the NBA. He is the worst free throw shooter of all time. Can you put someone in the Hall of Fame that was the worst of all time at something? That's tough. Also, even looking at like his the great things about Big Ben, again, we're talking about him even being a Hall of Famer because he was such a great defender, such a great rebounder. But when... When you're getting the Hall of Fame and you're averaging 5.7 points, you can't shoot, you can't make free throws, you got to be the best of the best at what you know, you're specializing in, in what you dominate in, right? You're the dominant guy. And I said he was probably the best overall defender, which, which matters. But people get hung up on numbers. And like Rodman, right? Best rebounder, one of the best rebounders of all time. He kind of owned that. He averaged the most rebounds per game for seven straight seasons. That's, yes, he was the best rebounder. There's no arguing there. Like Matumbo, one of the best shot blockers of all time, he led the league in blocks three straight, or three times, I'm sorry. Oh, led the league in rebounding. My notes are terrible here. He led the league in rebounding three times. Blocks twice. Okay? So, 
they're really kind of owning these categories multiple times. I mean, Robin really dominated Matumbo, blocks and rebounds. I mean, Wallace I wanted to do earlier. He led the league in rebounds twice. Okay, that's not seven times like Rodman. He didn't own the decade. He did well in the decade. But he only led the league in blocks once. I mean, Theo Ratliff, remember that guy? He led the league in blocks three times during that time. Dwight Howard did it twice. And Marcus Camby did it three times. Ben only did it once. He's probably only the fourth best shot blocker of the decade. So again, overall defender because he was great at stealing the ball too overall defense great probably the best defender of the decade but he wasn't the best shot blocker of the decade he wasn't the best rebounder of the decade so he didn't he wasn't the best at either of those for the decade so you really got to hang on the fact that he was the best defender but I think that can be argued like four-time defensive player of the year award it's hard to argue, but you can make the argument where Dennis Rodman led the league in rebounding seven times during that time period. No one's arguing there. It's not like, what? No. Seven times led. No arguing. Ben, you can make a case other people are in the realm of that best defender. Rodman was far and away the best rebounder. So, again, if you're not going to score, if you're kind of that guy who does something extremely well, you're the best at something... I think you need to shine a little more than Ben did. And then finally, if you're just looking at like his overall stats, let's just throw it out there. His lines of 5.7 points per game, 9.6 rebounds per game, 1.3 assists at a 47-14-41 clip for field goal percentages, two blocks, 1.3 steals. That's going to be the least sexy um, stats in the hall. And I know Ben's so much more than stats, but it's just, I mean, not even double digits and rebounds. It's kind of weird when we're talking about he was a great rebounder, he was a dominant rebounder. It, it's just not a great look for a Hall of Fame candidacy. And then you, and again, Ben didn't play forever or anything like that. I mean, he's 13th all time in blocks at. Just over 2,000 blocks. Um, nothing, I mean, nothing, not even top 10 blocks, I guess. Something that I think people, again, I thought of him about rebounds, but blocks and rebounds are his thing. 13th all-time in blocks. If, if I'm getting in the hole, don't you think he's got to be top 10? I don't know. Okay. So that's the case against. So wrapping up, let's get to the, the final verdict here. Hall of Famer or not. So I guess this is what I got to say here. I think Ben will eventually get in. In saying that, it might be a while. Um, For Rodman, you know, he... 11 years after he retired is when he got in. And I think his candidacy, um, I think he had a better resume to, to get in than Ben. Um, I mean, Rodman had the championships. He had five. I said, you know, he didn't score well like Ben, but 
at the same time he led the league in rebounding, rebounding for seven straight years. He had years he was getting 18 boards a game. He had two defensive play of the year, defensive play of the year awards. I mean, he was one of the best defenders. Um, ben. Ben doesn't have those like lifetime numbers that are kind of crazy. He didn't really dominate stat-wise at least blocks or rebounds like you would want him to not being so well-rounded. And then the the free throw line numbers just in the the field goal percentage those kind of kill him. But the reason I think he'll get in is again four defensive player of the year awards. It's it's hard to to neglect in I think that the biggest thing was, again, he was probably the best defender of a decade. And, and I think you get in with that. And then you throw in his five All-NBA teams. I, I would venture to say, I don't, ha- I don't know this for sure, but I would venture to say no one's made five All-NBA teams and not gotten to the Hall, even if it's like five All-Third teams, um, which you know Ben had some second teams in there. The All-NBA team is a big... It's a big thing for me, at least. It shows you were one of the top you know, 15 players if you make one of the three teams, roughly. Again, centers sometimes get in and they're not maybe the, the best. Or Some years, I mean, it was very hard to be a center. But long story short, roughly, if you're on the All-NBA first, second, or third team, you're a top 15 player in the league. And, and Ben was around that for, th- for, for five different seasons. That, that means a lot. Um. And then that finals performance, it's a big deal. I mean, he was—he won a championship and he played a giant part in it. He didn't win the MVP, but he was a giant part. So I think that championship, those four Defensive Player of the Year awards, along with those five All-NBA teams can help him, help voters get past the really rough stats he has. And he can get in down the line. But I, I, I think he was just a finalist. I think it's going to take him five, six, seven, seven more years um, to get in. I, I really think so. Um, but I do think he will get in. So final, final verdict, Ben Wallace does get my vote for the Hall of Fame. But I do think it will take some time. I think you just can't leave Big, big Ben out. For, for what he meant to the NBA during that time period. Um, especially considering how undersized he was in an era when there were still giant centers out there. There's still Shaq and Dwight Howard roaming around, David Robinson roaming around, and then big guys like Tim Duncan, KG, um, Chris Webber. I mean, there were some big-time guys down low, and Ben Wallace was battling with all of them. And, and, and was top rebounding, getting block shots during that time. So Ben Walls, Hall of Famer. So thanks for joining. Um, subscribe and, and tell your friends about this if they have any interest um, in kind of listening to debates about Hall of Fame. Thank you.